So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, if you turn there, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. John chapter 1 and verse 43. Lord, we pray, as we always do, it's your word, Lord. You inspired the human authors to write these things, to record these things as as you wanted them recorded and remembered. And we pray, Lord, that as your children, we pray that you would teach us by the same spirit, your spirit, who inspired the writers, we pray that you would teach us. We pray, Father, that our faith would increase as we look at your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know, guys, you've noted thus far, I mean, we're still in chapter one, next week we'll We'll break the seal, you know, we'll, we'll move beyond into chapter 2. But, but we, we see how John's gospel account, it moves quickly, at least in the first chapter, day by day. We've seen a next day and then another next day, and here's a following day. And so by my counting, this is the third day uh, from verse 19. And so I think that it's important to see how quickly things were moving, at least at the beginning here. We see Jesus, he wants to go to Galilee. We know that Jesus, his ministry, for the most part, took place in the Galilee. You know, guys, we need to remember that the Galilee was referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, It's interesting because when you look at Jesus' ministry, as you're reading the gospel accounts, his ministry in the Galilee among you know, those that would be living with Gentiles and perhaps Gentiles themselves, they were much more open to the things that Jesus was teaching than down in Judea or down in Jerusalem, where, of course, you had all the religious leaders and all, and they were the ones who looked with suspicion at Jesus. They always found fault with everything he said or everything he had done. But Jesus, he wanted to go up to the Galilee, and so he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, you read this, and it almost seems like, you know, Jesus, did you not want to travel alone? You know, were you, were you seeking a traveling companion, you know? And, and of course, we know that uh, Jesus calling Philip was, uh, he had much greater, uh, much greater purpose than just a, a traveling companion. But I want you to note the simplicity of this, guys, because I'll tell you, when, when Christianity becomes difficult, and, and I've watched the morphous, you know, this, this, this shift that's changed, you know, Christianity, the gospel, you know, how a, a person who has the spirit of God and the word of God can, can read the scriptures and can learn, can be taught really by, by the scriptures, by the spirit of God. And, and yet we've watched the church at different times, different phases. It kind of goes into these places where, you know, no, you, now you need a 
you know, you need a doctrine in theology. You need, you need to really have this higher education in order to understand these things. Let's remember there wasn't a doctor, and I mean a doctor of theology, among them. There was a doctor, Dr. Luke, <laughs> but he was a doctor of medicine, but there was not a doctor among them. They were common men and women that had been with Jesus. And he just simply, Jesus, he just simply says, follow me. And Philip started following Jesus. And the critic would say, can it really be that easy? And the answer is, it is that easy. We're the ones that make it difficult. We're the ones that add all this other stuff, you know, well, you got to do this, and you got to do that. And follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. In fact, guys, we'll see it today in our text. And uh, we, we've already seen it. We saw it last week. And we'll see it again where, where there's this invitation, come and see, come and see. That seems to be, uh, uh, you know, the, the greatest way. You want to know? Come and see. And uh, so Philip, he starts following Jesus. And Philip does what, what many of us did when we first became saved when we first became born again what is that we share the gospel with those our loved ones our friends isn't that what we did I mean you know the sad thing is you kind of run out of people to share the gospel with after a while you know I you know I I'm going to play my violin here for a few minutes you know but as a pastor um, I, I found that my my sphere of, of uh, sharing the gospel has really shrunk down, you know. Uh, I was a carpenter by trade, and as a carpenter, you know, uh, I would work on job sites, and I'd work with men, and I'd be able to share the gospel with people, and, and it was just kind of a, a very normal existence. And then I become a, a pastor, you know, and, and I, you know, you get on the airplane and you sit next to somebody. I don't know about you, but I always pray, Lord, give me opportunity to share the gospel. Well, you shouldn't sit next to each other. And, and uh, what's the very first thing? If the person wants to talk to you, a lot of times it's, you know, leave me alone. But if they want to talk to you, and sometimes you have those people that really want to engage in conversation. I've had some great conversations with people on airplanes. I, I talked to a, um, a Egyptian Orthodox priest. He had all the garb and everything. I was wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops and, and shorts. And, and, um, and you know, I, we were talking. He says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he looked at me and he said, no, <laughs> I am too. <laughs> you know, and, and we were able to talk about the Lord which was wonderful. But usually the way it goes down is, you know, someone says, so what do you do for a living? Now, there's the moment, you know, I could lie or I could just tell half the truth. I could say, well, I'm a teacher. That's usually a good approach. I'm a teacher. But do you know what the follow-up question is going to be? What do you teach? So usually I just speak the truth. I'm a pastor. And more times than not, the conversation has been... Cut down, you know. Fortunately, no one's asked for a different seat thus far, but it gets shut down. But you know, when you come to faith in Christ, you share the gospel with your friends, family, and friends. That's what you do. 
And so that's what, that's what Philip wanted to do. Philip, verse 45, found Nathanael, or Bartholomew, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, so the first five books of the Bible is the law. Moses spoke of Jesus in the law. And also the prophets wrote, and then he, he, he says, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, guys, to us, this is meaningful. To Nathaniel, as he heard this, this was like, you know, what? <laughs> Jesus, common name, lots of Jesuses. It's kind of like Jim or Dan, you know, common name. From Nazareth? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Oh, no. Nothing good could come from Nazareth. The son of Joseph? Who's Joseph? You know, you can't blame uh, Nathaniel for, for being unimpressed uh, by, by the things that Philip was telling him. But, but nonetheless, he responds. He says, and Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, guys, um, it's interesting how people reject the Lord because they think that they know all there is to know about the Lord. You know, you meet people like that. You know, it's almost like I've tried Jesus. Like Jesus is a brand of pants that you can wear or something or a shoe or something. I tried Jesus. It just wasn't a good fit for me, you know. We're not talking about something that we try. But there are many people. I was like that before coming to faith in Christ. Raised Roman Catholic, you know, religious. Went to parochial school. Did all of that stuff. By the time I was a teenager, I thought, well, I know everything there is to know about Jesus, and I'm not impressed. And you know what? I knew nothing about Jesus. I knew nothing about the biblical Jesus. In fact, once I was introduced to and received by faith the biblical Jesus, the, the thought that ran through my mind constantly was, why doesn't everyone believe in him? I mean, if, if people could just simply see Jesus as he is in the scriptures, presented in the scriptures, why wouldn't anybody, everybody be drawn to him? But Nathaniel, he thought that he had Jesus figured out simply because Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth. It was a town. I, I almost want to say city, but it wasn't even a city. It was a town. It was a village. It was notorious. It was poor. It was, you know, they were known for their being unsophisticated, you know. And so when he asked the question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Anything good. I was telling the first service, I always use this example, and I know I'm going to offend somebody sometime, but, you know, I grew up in Southern California, and uh, we lived in L.A., then we moved to San Diego, and uh, in the Los Angeles area, there were many cities, you know, that kind of had notorious reputations, but, but hands down, the most notorious city in Los Angeles when I was growing up was Compton. You don't want to go to Compton. My dad was mugged in Compton. And uh, Compton, it always kind of had the reputation, Compton. It's funny because um, some of my grandkids, um, they have like Vans clothes. And, um, and I saw one of them wearing, I think it said Compton Surf Club. And I thought, Compton, you know. But you know, nowadays they probably do have a surf club club from Compton, you know. But that's how 
Nazareth was. He hears Nazareth. And, and he just simply speaks what's on his mind. He's just simply being honest. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Just come and see. Sometimes we feel like we have to argue with people or, or somehow persuade people. And I wonder if the better approach would be to simply come and see. Now, we say, well, how can we do that today? Jesus isn't here on the earth. How can we bring people to Jesus? Well, we could bring people to Jesus um, by encouraging them to read or reading with them the Gospel of John, for example. You know, I made mention when we began our study in the Gospel of John this time through that um, the Gospel of John... During the Jesus movement, it was kind of the go-to gospel. It was always the gospel where, where people would say, now that you've received Christ, read the gospel of John. And as someone who has studied the scriptures, you know, for 45 years and walked with the Lord that period of time, I look at the gospel of John and it is, it is, it is, so unique the Gospel of John is. It's not like the other three synoptic Gospels. It's, it's mystical, if you will. I mean, it, it just, the way it's laid out and everything. But, but I understand. I understand why people say, read the Gospel of John. Because we see Jesus as he is from John 1.1. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. You see that? So it just kind of starts, it sets the foundation. Jesus is God. And then it begins to build from there. Come and see. I'll tell you, I think that the best witness to a non-believer is, this is going to be profound, hold your seats. I'm being silly. It's a believer. It's a believer who's honest. It's a believer who's open about, um, you know, their own failures and struggles and battles and, and everything else. And they come to faith in Christ and they say, you know, you know, the person who says there's no proof in God. The believer could point to themselves and say, I am a proof of God. I am a proof of, of who Jesus is. I'm a living, breathing proof of what the Lord can do. And that should be true of every believer. We should be people that are growing, we're maturing, we're, we're changing. You know, guys, I mentioned it a few moments ago how Sadly, you know, when we first got get saved, we share the gospel with our friends and loved ones, and then we kind of run through the list, and, um, and we don't have as many people to share the gospel with. It's important that we're, we're befriending people outside of the church, that we're, that we're friendly. You know what I mean? Guys, have, have you kind of noticed, especially after the past three years, uh, people getting all freaked out? about even touching somebody else or sitting next to somebody else, how people, they do like little flowers, like a sunflower that just kind of blossoms in the sun when you just simply are nice to them. Hello, how you doing? It takes them off guard. I, um, I was getting my hair cut last week, and it's always a challenge, you know. Get this thing just right. And I went to a barber. I haven't been to a barber in a long time. Last time I went to a barber, we were in California, and um, 
Brittany, our oldest daughter, took me to this barber. It was like a spa for men. It was so nice. I mean, you know, it was like the whole barber shop feel. And, uh, you know, and they did, I was in the chair for like an hour. It was so good. It was like, you know, is this okay? And, you know, yeah, man, just keep doing what you're doing. It's like, and the razor on the back of the neck. You, you know, I, I mean, you don't get that. Anyway. There was a guy that was just getting in out of the chair that I was going to enter. And uh, he was a, a sailor, I knew, because of his, you know, fatigues and his boots. And um, he had his neck shaved with a razor. And he gets up and he pays the barber. And he starts to walk out and he kind of looks at me. And, and I said, hey, thank you for serving. And he said, what? Um, oh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then it's like he wanted to talk I just find it amazing how you just just the, the slightest little thing you know how you doing you doing okay today a smile a smile goes a long way today but we should be making friends with people who don't know the Lord so that we could share the Lord with them I mean we're not headhunters you know what I mean it's not like a we have the you know the <laughs> shortened heads on our belt, you know, got another one added, you know. But, but we're just simply doing what the Lord has called us to do. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to, toward him, and he said to him, Behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. This was a compliment. Jesus said, uh, Hey, Nate, there's no pretense with you. And look how Nathaniel responds. How do you know me? How do you know me? This tells us something. Guys, listen, if we pay attention, this tells us something about Nathaniel. When you are complimented, when someone says something nice about you, how do you respond? Do you feel comfortable? Do you usually agree with them? Oh, you look so nice today. Thank you. I, you know, I thought the same thing when I left the house. I, I'm looking really sharp today. I mean, you don't do that. It's just kind of, you just kind of, it's a little uncomfortable. You just say, oh, thank you, you know. My kids, they always tease me and they say, um, and I've heard them say to their own children, go compliment Papa about something and he'll act like he didn't hear you. But Nathaniel, his response says, how do you know me? Yeah, I am honest. No guile with me. I'm an Israelite who says what I think. I mean, you know, there's some pride there, Nathaniel. But he says, how do you know me? And I'll tell you, this is when things get real. First of all, I want you to note that this phrase of Jesus, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, can also be paraphrased, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no Jacob. Jacob. Who's Jacob? Surplanter, hill catcher, Jacob, deceiver. Remember, he connived his brother out of his birthright, even though 
he was the rightful heir of the birth. I mean, we know the text, you know. But you look at this, and yet what happened to Jacob? Jacob was broken by the Lord. Jacob was transformed by the Lord. The Lord did a work. He might have been that, but he became Israel. You know, when you have a name change so great as that, uh, he will govern, he will rule as God. Really, Lord? Me? Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Guys, listen, in those few verses that I just read to us, something powerful is happening here. How do you know me? I saw you before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. And the reader has to ask the question, what was he doing under the fig tree? What was going on under the fig tree? And here's the fact of the matter. We don't know what was happening under the fig tree. But Jesus knew what was happening under the fig tree. And that's what blew Nathaniel's mind. And so I'm going to speculate. We could do that, I think, safely. Guys, when you look at the context, you know, what's happening here? In fact, let's, let's read on. Verse 50. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Which, by the way, is another reference to Jacob. Remember? Remember Jacob? <clears throat> he had a dream. And as he was there dreaming, he sees a ladder from the earth reaching into the heavens. And he sees angels descending and ascending on this ladder, this link between earth and heaven. He sees us. He dreams us. He wakes up and he says, um, truly, truly God is in this place. And remember, he gave it a name, Bethel, house of God. This is the house of God. So we got to ask ourselves, what was going on with Nathaniel? What was he thinking? Was he thinking about Jacob's life? Let me backtrack just a moment here. I kind of imagine, and of course I'm, I am reading into the text, but I kind of imagine that, that maybe the interaction between Philip and Nathaniel, you know, they were friends after all. Maybe when Nathaniel said, um, come on, Philip, you know, you think you found the Messiah? Do you really think the Messiah would come from a place like Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. I can tell you he's not the Messiah for the mere fact that he comes from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And I almost can imagine maybe Philip saying, hold on now, Nathaniel, don't, don't say things like that. And maybe Nathaniel responding and saying, Philip, I'm only speaking the truth. 
And maybe Nathaniel was one of those guys, one of those people who prided himself on his straightforwardness and his honesty. I always speak the truth, no lie. I'm going to tell you what I feel. You know, sometimes it could be a good thing. Sometimes that could be a real awkward thing. You ever be around people like that? Sometimes it's like too much, you know, just kind of back off a little bit, you know. I don't know. But I wonder, I wonder if he was thinking about Jacob under the fig tree. I wonder if Nathaniel was thinking to himself of Jacob and how God used a man like Jacob, a cheat, a conniver. And I wonder if he was thinking to himself, how could God use someone like Jacob, that hill catcher, that supplanter? How could he use someone like Jacob and not use an honest man like me? I know that, you know, we're in church and we don't want to we don't want to let down our guard and we want to say, well, I, I, you know, come on. I, who really thinks things like that? I, I think things like that. I've thought things like that. You know, jealousy is a weird thing. Envy, um, pride. Pride is a, is a really interesting thing. I, I was telling the first service, I'll tell you again. If you're here at the first service, sorry. You're going to hear me repeat myself. But I remember the Wednesday night, you know, we had, uh, we had, our Wednesday night study at Calvary Chapel Grass Valley and our pastor, our pastor had come up from Seal Beach. Uh, he and his friend Ron were pastoring a church at Calvary Chapel in Seal Beach and, and um, at that church, the mother of the man who was pastoring Calvary Chapel Grass Valley let Mark know that her son was stepping down from the ministry. He was going to write books and um, that he should go up and, and um, pastor that church, you know. And so he contacted the leadership. The leadership said, yeah, we're, we're bringing in different pastors. We're trying to prayerfully make our decision. Why don't you come up? And, and um, Mark, it was funny because he said that the interview was interesting. You know, they had all the leaders there. And, and so they said, so what about your education? What kind of education do you have? And and I think he said, oh, I went to Cerritos College, you know, junior college. And uh, what did you, you know, agriculture, I'm a gardener by trade, you know. He said, I was so unimpressive, you know. I mean, if you're looking for someone with credentials, I'm not the guy. But they chose him. 28 years old, he comes and he starts pastoring the church. He's got long blonde hair, long bushy beard. He doesn't own a piece of clothing that's not denim, his shoes are cowboy boots. But I'll tell you, when he opened the Bible and taught the word of God, it was like it was coming alive. I had never grown so much under anyone as I did under him. I mean, it was just so profound. And I remember it was a Wednesday night, and, and he was sharing a little bit about his testimony. You know, we kind of wanted to know about him, his background, and he said that he had, he had four brothers. There were five sons, all uh, total, no daughters. And, um, and his parents um, moved away one day when they were at school. 
And of course, the congregation laughed because Mark was funny. He was just a funny guy. And they thought it was one of his many jokes, you know. And he says, no, it's really not a joke. He said, they took the two younger uh, brothers and the two older ones. They told us to go find our brother, our oldest brother, who was a, a prostitute, a male prostitute on the streets of Hollywood. He was a drug addict to find him and that he would take care of them. He said he was 15 at the time, and so he and his brother, they went to Hollywood. He says, in Hollywood, uh, when you're on the streets, it's like uh, you're a vampire. He says, because that, you know, you try to sleep during the day and at night you're, you know, you're, you're awake for various reasons, you know. And he says, so here he is with his older brother who, is a homosexual uh, prostitute, drug addict. And uh, he said, I was so miserable. I just, there was no focus, no direction in my life. And he talked about how he used drugs in his youth. He had um, juvenile diabetes. And so he would have to give himself insulin every day. And, and so he said, I you know, was used to using a syringe and he said, and then as he began to share, he began to weep. He was so embarrassed by this thing in his past. And he said, I, I went to heroin, 15 years of age, heroin. And he talked about that. And he's been transformed, transparent. And, and I remember, I remember, and I'm telling you this, you know, it's really to my shame. It's, it's really revealing my pride. I remember sitting there. He's about 29 by then, maybe 30. It's been there for a while. I'm probably 23. And I'm thinking to myself as he's being transformed, transform, uh, what is it? Transparent. Yeah, transformant. He's a transformer. (laughs) No, transparent. Gosh. And I'm thinking to myself, I never used heroin. Man, compared to him, I'm a good guy. How long has he been saved? He's my pastor. I've learned. I've never learned from anyone more than him. But I'm I'm critical toward him now because he revealed something about his path that I deemed you know, beyond the line or whatever. And I remember just feeling so full of pride. Lord, if you could use a man like him, why can't you use a man like me? You know, guys, pride is an issue for all of us. (laughs) Whether or not we acknowledge it or not, we all, it's there, it's there, it's pride. Sometimes we are prideful in our sin. I'm so bad God could never forgive me. Still pride. Or I'm not that bad. There's no question why God wouldn't forgive me and use me. Pride. Still pride. I wonder what was going on. I know it was personal because because the Lord is speaking specifically to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel had to have been thinking about the ladder that Jacob's dream, the ladder that that went up into heaven. He had to be thinking about that. Why else would he bring this up? It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't tie into the context. 
He had to have been thinking about it. I want you to think for a moment. Have there been times in your life as a believer, or maybe, you know, before you came to faith in Christ, maybe the Lord just, just, you know, he just kind of nailed you. He just kind of, he just kind of said something. It just spoke right to you. Have you ever been in a setting? I've, I've been in settings like this. I remember one time I was, our pastor was gone and there was a friend of his that would come and preach at our church. And he had a big long beard. I won't mention his name because he kind of went off the edge, you know. But I'll tell you, God used that man. He was a powerful teacher of the word of God. And one time he was at our church and he would teach different teachings at each service, which created a problem because people who came to the first wanted to stay and, you know. And he was teaching and he was talking about being used by the Lord. And I felt like everyone in the room, everyone in the, the sanctuary just disappeared and it was like he was just speaking to me, but it wasn't he speaking to me, it was the Lord speaking to me. And I just began to weep. I, it's like I just couldn't control it. And I just felt like the Lord was just saying something, like the Lord was speaking into my life of what he was going to do and how, not specifics, but just how the Lord was going to use me one day. And I just kept thinking, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. I'll tell you, when you have those moments with the Lord, where you know he's just speaking to you, you say, oh, what a coincidence. Well, it's not a coincidence. Boy, he brought this to the light. Oh, Lord. I mean, even as believers, I can't believe that that happened. I can't believe that that was said. I can't believe, you know. And it's like the Lord is just kind of speaking to you in that moment. He says, I want you to know, I see. I know what's going on. I want to use you. Maybe for Nathaniel, maybe it was, you know, Nathaniel, the thing in your way is your pride. Because you, you think you're so honest and so straightforward and that you're always right and you're not. Maybe it was something like that. And Nathaniel has this moment with the Lord and it just kind of breaks his heart and, and he says, you are, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And the Lord says, you're impressed by this because I said I saw you under the fig tree? Wait until you see. Remember Led Zeppelin? <laughs> Stairway to heaven, you know. I thought of that after becoming a Christian. Led Zeppelin, it was, you know, it's got to be the most hated song today now because we've overheard it so often. You'll hear just a few notes and you know, that's Led Zeppelin, that's Stairway to Heaven, you know. And uh, they say, uh, well, I don't even know how we wrote this, you know, it just kind of came to me one day. And I was thinking, Stairway to Heaven. Rather than a Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin's version, I think of the ladder to heaven, Jacob's dream. And when I think of Jacob's dream, Jesus is not saying, listen, I'm using Jacob and his dream as an illustration. Whenever the Lord speaks of himself, he says, I am, I am that ladder that Jacob saw. I am the fulfillment of that ladder. Just as Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending upon this ladder, I am that ladder. 
And this communication, I am the link between earth and heaven. I am the son of man. Do you know, guys, that that title is the most used title of Jesus, uh, from, uh, by Jesus of himself? That's the title that he used more than, than any other title, the son of man. It's used 83 times in the gospel accounts. It's used 13 times in John's gospel account alone. Again, one of our Lord's favorite titles for himself. Why? Because it speaks of his humility. You look at this and you say, of course Jesus was raised in Nazareth. He is the son of man after all. The Lord is not done working. The Lord is not done saving. The Lord is not done empowering people. The Lord is still at work and he will be until he calls us home and even then he will be have you responded to the invitation to come and see you know you look at chapter one of of john's gospel account and and we have four ways of coming to jesus presented one chapter, we see Andrew, he came to Jesus because of the preaching of John the Baptist. Remember, behold the Son of God, or the Lamb of God, excuse me. And then Peter came to Jesus because of the witness of his brother. So that's always powerful. And then Philip came to Jesus as a result of a direct call from Jesus. And then Nathaniel came to Jesus by means of a sign. I saw you under the fig tree and personal encounter with Jesus. Do you remember how you came to faith in Christ? Do you remind yourself of it? Do you remind yourself of what you felt at the time? You say, oh, that's emotionalism. Hey, listen, if you're going to be emotional about something, I can't think of anything greater than to be emotional about the day that you came to faith in Christ and to remember that and to rehearse that in your mind. Because the enemy wants to come, and how often does he come and say, you're not really his. You're not really saved. You don't really believe this, do you? I mean, that's what he does. And that's why we need to fall back on what we know to be true. You know, guys, the Lord wants to do a work, but we need to humble ourselves before him. You guys, come on up. We need to humble ourselves before him. We need to be a people who are honest, you know, from what I'm hearing, uh, again, I've heard negative, I've heard positive, but I, I, from what I'm hearing about this Asbury thing is that there's been people that have been repentant of their sins. That's always a move of God. When the Lord brings to light something within us, something within you, and you acknowledge it before the Lord. Say, Lord, help me to turn from these things. That's always a good thing. But I know that the Lord wants to do a work, and I want him to work in our midst. And I believe that the Lord, he always honors his word. So wherever the word of God is being taught, you know, I was saying to the first service that I uh, read a book a few years ago on the Jesus movement. It was written from a church historian. And he was talking about 
the Jesus movement. And you know, it wasn't something that just happened in um, Southern California, though it was marvelous the things that were happening in Southern California at the time, but it happened up here in Seattle. There was a powerful move of God in Seattle. Are you aware of it? You need to research it. You might be surprised. The Emerald City was being influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Kentucky, as I mentioned, you know, the Asbury College there and other colleges. Ohio, the Lord was moving. But Calvary Chapel, in this book, Calvary Chapel is the only ministry that has continued. All of these other ministries, they've kind of come and gone. They serve their purpose, and then they've, they've gone. And so the author, from his standpoint, he says, the reason I believe that Calvary Chapel has continued is because of the word of God. See, any movement that people, you know, want to get their hands involved and say, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to make it this, we need to make it that. If it's not based upon the word of God, it won't last. But if it's based upon the word of God, it has longevity because the word of God endures forever, amen? So know the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God, share the word of God. God will use you. God wants to use you. Let's stand together, please. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be men and women who hunger and thirst for you and Lord we believe I believe that if we do that that you will meet us right where we're at and you'll empower us with your Holy Spirit to your glory Lord if we want things from you so that we could stand in the light rather than be light then it may not happen but Lord if we desire to receive from you so that we might shine the light on the true light, you, then I think it will happen, Lord. Your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.